A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to Old Brother, a podcast about Salford slash Manchester's legendary musical institution, The Fall. You can find us at Spotify, Apple and all the usual suspects, but we're hosted at play.acast.com forward slash s forward slash Old Brother. All episodes are also available on YouTube, just search for Old Brother Podcast and subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. This week we're joined by Mr John Robb, who discusses golf, bass playing, his writing and of course his fascinating interactions with The Fall. Hope you enjoy it. Right, here we are then, the latest edition of Old Brother with me, Paul, and my brother Steve, for the purpose of the tape. Afternoon, Steve. Hello, afternoon. You well? I'm okay, thanks, yeah. Good, good. And Are you? Us, I'm very well, thank you, yes. I don't, I don't, I don't know why we do this, because it's not like, you know, we haven't spoken before or switched the tape on. <laughs> no. Well, there is an actual tape either, but you know what I mean. You know, you know why yeah. I'm going with this. Anyway... We're joined today, but I'm just saying, if he's got any questions, he might want to try dabbling in the world of interviewing as well, because I'm sure he'd be good at it if he ever did it. We've got the author, musician, entrepreneur, TV star, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. curator of Louder Than Words, uh, Mr. John Rob. How are you, John? You all right? I'm all right. It's, it, Hello. It, it did sound like you read that off a piece of paper, actually. I didn't read that. I made that up as I went along. The fact that you can sum up all those jobs is making up as you go along. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did I miss anything out? No, I, didn't, I don't think so, did I? Probably, yeah. But Probably. We can find yeah. out. Fashion, fashion guru. Yeah, we, yeah, that's better. Let's start with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wildlife expert. <laughs> the interesting stuff. So, the interesting stuff, yeah. So, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast before, but basically, we're going to go through your experiences with and history with the fall. Now, in your case, it goes it goes back quite a long way, doesn't it? Oh, a real, a real long way, yeah. We're uh, back to Blackpool, which is where I'm from. So, uh, as, as I said, every now I had to correct some this morning. He said, "Oh, you got a really strong Manchester accent." I said, "I haven't got a Manchester accent at all." I still got a Lancashire hmm. accent. I mean, Blackpool. I think you're right. Yeah, Blackpool doesn't yeah. really have a very discernible accent. It's not like Preston or Burnley or Blackburn, but it doesn't. Or it didn't used to have a Manchester accent, but it's got one now. Anyway, so yeah, yeah I think there's a yeah. there's a bit of that, though, isn't there? I think it's it's getting a bit ubiquitous now. The Manchester accent, isn't it? I think there's only yeah, people like holding out. It's sort of invading. In fact, the Manchester accent's probably stronger in place like Blackpool than it is with people your age who are from Manchester, which is kind of yeah. obvious, wasn't it? So anyway, there I was in Blackpool as a as I'm called teenage punk rocker. Uh, we had the band The Membranes at the time, and we felt incredibly isolated because, I mean, we were friends with all the bands of the scene. It was a good scene in Blackpool. I mean, it was Section 25 from Blackpool to this day, I think. Yeah. An amazing band, equal yeah. Joy Division, really amazing band. And Ian Curtis thought that as well. He used, he used to be around their house, and we didn't even know that, you know, and... But that's the time in Jordan Mission weren't you too, as we all remember as well. They were a small band, weren't they? They played Blackpool yeah. to about 80 people, you know. I mean, if you meet people now in Russia who are massively huge, Jordan Mission is the biggest band ever in Russia. They, they, in their heads, they think they're like a stadium band. Yeah. Oh, they're so popular there, enormous, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I met a fall fan there once, yeah. Well, man, I always reckon the fall were big in places like that because of John Peel's show on the World Service. They were known to a circle of people, but um, yeah. but Joy Division had gone through that into this. Just like not just virtually every band you meet in Russia is a massive fall fan, and the influence is strong. I mean, I mean, it it, it kind of chimes with their mentality, in it because it's it's dark and it's about death and it's yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 They, they like that kind of thing, you know, that fatalism. Yes, we all die. Yes. You know, that's they're into that kind of thing there. So there we were. So and there was other bands. There's a good scene of Blackpool bands, but we we're super isolated. It's pre-internet. Going to Manchester was like a major expedition, you know. And no one had a car. Yeah. In fact, the first person who had a car, he's still around now. Actually, he probably he's on your probably comments on your Facebook page every now and then. Mark Burser, he's called, and he had a car, yeah. and it was amazing. Wow. It's like we actually knew somebody roughly our age who had a car who liked the music we liked. So he would drive us to gigs in Manchester. But before all that happened. 
we were like a, any isolated small town kind of bunch of music heads. John Peel was was, was the portal, wasn't it? And I remember him playing <clears throat> at the Falls first release. And in fact, we the first time we heard of the Fall was was the uh, Virgin compilation. I think a lot of people what what a valuable yeah. record to be on. And that last order, last order is half past ten. We thought that was incredibly funny. It became like a little catchphrase for ages, and yeah. um, and we really like the track. The track's great, great baseline. Great album, actually. I really, I really like the, the Joy Division track. I know. I think they were a bit embarrassed, but I mean, the, the Rudolph S bit is a bit embarrassing. But, uh, <laughs> but that and the the um, thing you were on there, the Steel Pulse was two Steel Pulse yeah. songs, and John Cooper Clark, which I, I still think. Well, amongst his finest recordings the two songs he did on there it's an amazing record isn't it you know like you yeah, say like every track yeah. on is good and it was a portal it's just, it's really interesting going on and that's the first time I think we've probably read about the fall before that because people bring you can read fanzines but there was stuff will come in from Manchester like these exotic things from the big city you know like <laughs> <laughs> and then so, more so, bits of paper so we read, but I mean it's funny that isn't it perception because Whatever Manchester was then, it wasn't. Ex- it certainly exotic wasn't a word you could use about Manchester. Then. No, it was exotic for us. I mean, I mean, people used to think Blackpool was exotic, and that wasn't exotic to us. People, now, when I go back and look at the Illuminations, I think they're mind blowing. But at the time, we thought they're a bit of a drag. You know, we think why would everyone come look at this bunch of more rubbish? Because when you don't live there, <laughs> it's suddenly like it's yeah. more amazing. <laughs> so to us, Manchester was this exotic music city full of people doing really cool stuff, making music. That was kind of like our like what we were trying to do, but we were sort of stuck on our own, really. Because uh, the thing about Section Twenty Five was they were like really old; they were twenty five. <laughs> oh, wow. we, we were sixteen. You know, there was a gap, a big gap. You know, they must have looked yeah. must have been annoying little children, yeah. and, and we looked at them as being like these wise old men, you know, from from the hills or something. Yeah. So we got so the, you have your fanzine then, John. Was it Rocks? The yeah. Your fanzine. Yeah, I started that in nineteen seventy eight. We did that and. Um, which printed 50 of them and sold around Blackpool. It was amazing that everybody actually even bought it, but it was, and then we, we actually did another little sub fanzine where we, we did something about the school and the school went to this big meltdown, but it was an anarchist cell in the school and kicked out. <laughs> 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 like nowadays, you know, what the stuff that people do nowadays compared to them, you know, it's so naive and <clears throat> quite an innocent time really, you know? So, we, yeah. so we did that. And then um, I remember with the, uh, yeah, the Falls early singles, so we really like those. And then the album, I can't even remember the chronology now with the order of everything is, but the album was big with us. We used to play it over and over again because we're, um, in punk, we, we because we were stuck, we were isolated. We didn't get in the right order, so we didn't actually do it the right way. So we were, I mean, obviously we loved the Pistols and the Clash and the Buzzcocks inspired because it's Northern. So even though that felt like a long way away, you know, so it's inspiring yeah. the fact they've done their own records. Like, wow, you made your own record. But we also, because we, you have to put magic mushrooms into the equation because that's all there was to do. So we had a sort of weird psychedelic take of punk. So we completely loved the Stranglers because they were like a psychedelic punk band. So if, if you're getting that far, and then we loved XTC as well because they're kind of sort of odd and psychedelic. So the fall to us weren't really, they didn't come to us from outer space. It didn't feel that far. It was just another version of that, but a more raggedy, looser version that we liked mm-hmm. as well. And Northern, it sounded really Northern. And it, and, and it was very Magic Mushrooms. It had that kind of spooky, melancholic edge that Magic Mushrooms have. So that, that <laughs> really, really connected with us. And I have listened to that record an awful yeah. lot on Magic Mushrooms. Live the Trials. Hey. Yeah, Land of the Witch Trials. Yeah, even even yeah. the sleeve. I, I really love the sleeve because it was so brutal and so odd and off kilter. And but it totally made sense to us. I mean, we didn't know anything about the bands. We didn't know what the band looked like. We didn't know why they were making music like this. But it it it, it didn't seem that far away from that world that we were sort of inhabiting musically, you know. And it it wasn't. Yeah. A lot, and then we thought we, we thought God, they don't. I mean, we thought. They don't sound like us, but they're in the same kind of weird space we're in because we'd already made a record by then. Um, we made two records. Or we, or we were already doing our thing by then, uh, but we was, 
but it wasn't as as accomplished. You know, we couldn't really we we couldn't mm-hmm. play. I mean, how to, who would you ask how to play musical instruments? There wasn't anybody. It was a we didn't. No, it wasn't no. You couldn't, you couldn't oh. get off YouTube. No, you couldn't. There was, no. We didn't know any chords or scales or yeah. that stuff. We just used to make it all up but until we got it right. You know, and sort of that, yeah. oh, that sounds like mm-hmm. a tune. That'll do. You know, and it was. And then when we heard the four, we thought that's like a slightly more grown up version. Of what we're trying to do, I mean, obviously, Carl Burns drumming on that record is amazing, isn't it? It's like jazz drumming, yeah, yeah. and we yeah. didn't know anybody could drum like that. But I it, still don't. <laughs> that was amazing when all those Tom rolls and stuff. Yeah, and he's and the songs are really good. We, Rebellious Jukebox, what we really loved, and we loved the way he sang that. And it was um, we thought we, th- we thought it was funny as well. We kind of got the humour in it as well, and the darkness and. So it became that, and Metalbox was another record we loved at the time. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was something. Yeah. They, they, I mean, they were another kind of a piece, weren't they? Yeah, that sort of all that stuff. Injection was- of the ridiculous, you know, that that sort of. It got very, very old very quickly. That punk sort of barcodey. Apart from Buscocks, who could pull it off for who pulled it off forever, didn't they? But uh, that that when once uh, John Lydon went to Pill, that when it all kind of opened out, I think. We did. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I, I never went off the simple punk stuff. I still liked it, but it didn't affect me in the same kind of way. You know, I like the energy of it, and the, you know the, yeah. the the blast of energy and the intensity. Yeah. I, I, to this day, I still like that. But I like the more psychedelic, off kilter stuff that was a bit weirder. That created these kind of odd atmospheres. Pills very like that. One, I mean, the first yeah. album, our metal box. I mean, I remember. We'd go to the record shop in Cleveland, that's nearest one to where we lived, to, to buy them. We're the only people that ever bought those records. And the guy behind the counter who sold them to us, Jeff Smith, now runs Radio 2. How bizarre is that? Bloody hell. Wow. I know. He just says, not playing them, though, is he? <laughs> <laughs> no, he won't. Well, that's every time we put a record out, as a joke, I said it to him and say, play, play. He runs Radio 6, well, actually. say, can you, can you play our stuff? And he goes, no. I so said, it's your fault I sound like this. You're selling me all the punk records. You should sell me the ELO records. Yeah. <laughs> Every time Jeremy Vine mentions the fall on his oh. Twitter, our Andrew, my brother, gets on to him saying, how oh, come you never play on them? We're always banging on about them. I know. It's, yeah. it's not the thing that people always like the idea of what you do more than actually what you do. <laughs> I don't think Jeremy Vine gets much choice in what he plays on radio to, to be whereas, whereas I think all of us and probably a lot of people listen to this we actually like the music and that was always the, yeah. for most people that was the, the, the hardest part of the equation they, they were, like we say with the four people used to love the interviews and the persona and the idea of it but when it came to the music a lot of people got stuck but for us of course it, it didn't sound weird at all it, it just uh, to me always no. sound like to me the four have always been a fantastic pop band you know even a really obtuse song were really catchy, you know, and we got a lot of that sort of bass playing that was going on from uh, Brother Steve. Uh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's have a conversation. Right. <laughs> Sorry, no, moving quickly on. Um, so, when was the first time you saw the band live? Um, it was slightly later on. It was it was Norbrecht Castle in nineteen seventy nine, yes. I think it was, and and. The, the, the Norbert Castle was the venue where all the bands who came to Blackpool played and everyone played there it was really weird Pretenders Adam the Ants uh, Stray Cats but it wasn't even in Blackpool it was about five miles north of the town centre they're off of London you know all these bands coming up to play Blackpool which, which people didn't really do that much then you get to get to Blackpool then you have to keep going you think where, where is this <laughs> venue <laughs> and it's in this fake castle like a hotel looks like a fake castle on the prom and it's just down the road from where we live, so we could walk up there. And the four were doing two shows, and this is the funniest thing: they did a matinee show in the afternoon for the under sixteens, under sixteens disco. Right, yeah. It was fantastic. It, 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 all the audience was. It, was there, one, it must have been one of my first gigs, I think. Oh, was it? Oh, yeah. Because were you? Yeah, not on. Were you playing then, or were you crewing? I can't remember. Yeah, you playing? No, I was playing. Yeah, but yeah, we did the afternoon show. I remember the first time I ever saw you. You were all walking down the prom together, like. Uh, Towards the venue, he must have been out for a band walk or something really weird. But Mark Smith had on, he had little um, beetle crushes on and a black a black coat, and, and, and the rest of you look taller than him, and all walking along the prom. We used to recognize, you could see anybody look slightly alternative, and Blackpool stand out a mile. So you thought that must be the band because we, I don't think even at that point, we really knew what the four looked like. We just heard the records, and I think the second album was out by then as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, think- the gig was the gig was amazing. There was about us and about four of our mates going, "Wow, this is incredible!" 
and, and these kids just like all hiding behind the chairs and the fingers in their ears. And then you played a show in the evening. So I don't know whoever thought it happened a matinee show before, but it's either some of the great sense of humour. There's no one near your first gig, Steve. According, according to this, it was it was in the November '79. You'd done hundreds by then. Well, in the grand scheme of things, it was one of the early days, wasn't it? It already felt like forever. But I remember, <laughs> yeah. I remember, um, yeah. uh, what's his name's on the drums? Uh, oh, God, the, the Teddy. No. Mike, Mike Lee. Yeah. Mike Lee. Yeah. Yeah, it was a top bloke. I and mean, we actually, we spoke to him that day, and he's a really good guy. And he, when I started playing bass again, I put it on Facebook, I'm looking for a bass. And he got in touch after years, and said, I've got your bass. If you want a bass, I've got one here. And he came around and sold me the uh, the Fender Precision I got. He said, "This is exactly the bass you want." And as, as soon oh. as I, as soon as I stood outside my, Sorry, truck, I thought you I thought yeah. you were saying he sold you he, he sold you your bass. No, 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 no. That what's well, a sad story. That one comes out in a minute. But no, he sold me his soul. So anyway, I played it in the oh, car park outside, and and without him plugging it in, and it sounded amazing. I knew it was good. It's it's my favourite bass ever. It sounds fantastic, and he sold it to me. No. You still got it? I still, of course, I have. Yeah, yeah. It's my, yeah. It's my smile. Oh. I'll have that for the rest of my yeah. life. The the other bass was that. Well, I used to have a violin bass because being like little punk kids, I loved mm. the. Um, I loved Captain Sensible's bass on the back of the uh, the Damned album. Yeah. I, I didn't twig it was a Paul McCartney bass, even though I loved the Beatles as well. But didn't see in them days you didn't really see stuff that it wasn't like you could dredge the internet you just you didn't really you saw, you knew the Beatles what they looked like but you didn't know what instruments they played you know no. so uh, anyway no. I thought I want one of those but um, obviously I can't buy one when are you going to buy that Blackpool so I got a piece of wood and I carved a violin shape in it and got a Woolworths K base remember those took the neck off yeah. it and screwed it in and and put these and somebody put these DiMarzio pickups in and somehow, by a complete fluke, it sounded amazing. It sounded like a landslide. It sounded yeah. like a, a panzer tank. And it was all by mistake, <laughs> but it's exactly the sound I wanted. And I had that bass about 15 years. And then when one night my flat got robbed in Manchester and all got nicked was my bag and that bass. And nobody else who lived in that shared house got anything nicked. I thought when they were running down the street with that bass, and we go, what, they must go, what the fuck's that? And chucked it in the bin. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas for me, it was the best. Yeah, yeah. It was the best thing ever. You know, mm-hmm. I, I would still use that to this day if I still had it. I was going to make. I, I, I might make another one at some point just because I really like the sound of it. Yeah. yeah. I remember the, it was made out of maple woods, which someone told me once made the uh, notes resonate more. Yeah. So that, I don't know. That, that must have been the trick, the lucky trick that made it sound so amazing. But we always loved basses. The bass was the king instrument in post punk, wasn't it? I mean, of course, Steve. Yeah, you could go get a cup of tea now, Paul. <laughs> yeah, because okay, yeah, I mean, you know, that, I always think that you know, key to the Sex Pistols' success was Sid Vicious's bass playing. I've always said so. <laughs> well, glad, glad that lot. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that back because the bass on uh, Never Mind the Bollocks is. Fantastic! It's so because you know your ear spunk and what have you with Glenn Matlock, and his bass lines are great, but they don't compare to Steve Jones just playing that sort of root note at the bottom. This, I think the bass on Never Mind the Box is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, there's actually an interesting little subtopic here of guitar, great guitar players who were also great bass players. So most guitar players, when they play bass, they put loads of runs in it, and ruin it, don't they? Yeah. They don't realise yeah. it's mm. actually just two or three notes can be so super effective. But it can also it can be complex and melodic as well. And I tell you, the best guitar player who's a really great bass player is Captain Sensible. So when I went and saw the yeah. band play the other week, the original lineup at uh, the Apollo, yeah. you go, yeah, wow, to that, yeah. yeah, it was an amazing gig. It's all it's it's. You think how can they be that good? And how, how come how come they were that good and fucked mm. it all up so much? Easy. Yeah, I, I watched a bit of it, and I, 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 what really struck me is how good. Rat Scabish still is. He's oh, incredible, God. isn't he? he had, when I, re- I interviewed him about eight months ago and he hadn't started rehearsing, I don't think they actually rehearsed as a band until about two weeks before the gigs. <laughs> I mean, well, the, Bri- Brian didn't look so well, did he? He's all right, though. He's just had a hip replacement. So, yeah. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, I was, I've been in touch with him. He's okay. He's going to be. I, I, I always good. thought he was the oldest, but Captain's the oldest in the band. Right. Yeah, okay. I, I always thought Brian was about four years older just because he'd seem to have been around a bit. And, you know, and he's, I remember Mick Jones once said to me when I interviewed him that 
Brian was the first guy he'd ever met who knew what, you know, he's the first, the visionary he saw punk, you know, it's not flare trousers, it's short air, short songs, fast songs. And when he went yeah. to jam with London SS, he was kind of laughing at them because they all had long, what the hoople hair. Nothing wrong with that because as we, as the three of us here, mm-hmm. we all know. Yeah. Mo- 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 <laughs> gods in our world, but this is four years later. Yes. And Brian kind of saw the next phase, and, he's a f- and when he walked in the room, they're all looking at him, and going, "Wow, he looks amazing." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he does as well. He looks, he, looks, he looks like the sort of blueprint on that early, the early damn pictures, doesn't he? Oh, he looked, he looked great. He was like the cool one, like like in the young ones. Yeah. There was like the cool one. Well, he was well, very much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think he's an amazing guitar captain. But he's never going to be anybody's cool member of the band, is he? Let's face it. You know, he's kind of he's cool, he's, in his nurse's uniform. He's kind of cool in a different way, isn't he? Because he, he, yes. he does. He's yes, carrying yes. it off. He's completely mad, but he does carry it off. Yeah. And he's, he's, he's a great guy. And also, what I was saying, he's an amazing bass player. He's super melodic. You know what made that yeah. gig really work? He played it with such joy. It wasn't like sometimes... Yeah. I, I was a bit... I, well, I was not concerned. But I thought that it was going to be a bit strained, you know, because certainly relationships between... Yeah, but uh, Rat right, and the rest of the band have got have got a bit tasty at times, didn't they? They did, but they were like they looked like the biggest pals, and they're like having the greatest time of their lives. It was it, that's what made it really that's work. Nice. And they played the second nice. they played the second album, which I've always loved. I mean, no one else seems to like that album. Yeah, well, you're the only person on earth who likes music of pleasure, aren't you? Yeah, but I love it. It's ace. It's an ace record. But after so, that, I mean, hit, that bodes well, doesn't it? When you get old band members getting back together and they all get all right, they soon, get, doesn't it? And they get on, yeah. That's yeah, cool. That's <laughs> nice, yeah, there's, there's a bunch of old lags amongst done that, and um, of course I've, yeah, I've, yeah, I've, yeah. I've not heard the album. I believe so. I've, I've not heard. You've not heard them, have you, John? I've not, I've, not heard. I've not heard the album officially. I've no, not, quite right, quite right. Officially, I've not. Unofficially, I've not heard the album. Black, it's it's really it's really fucking good. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. So every now and again in this podcast, we give out a nugget of information, and the full completists. I'm getting really happy. So I'm gonna. I'm, there's a thing on the fall discography here that says there were two shows on this day according to the tour schedule, but it's never been confirmed at Norbert Castle. And you've just confirmed it that they did play two shows. They did. I so saw them. I saw them both. So the fall yeah. is we happy with that nugget of information anyway. Anyway, I remember happened after that. So we went down to that gig, and uh, me and Tills, who's the Ben Reds guitar player, we did a fancy. Yeah called Rocks and this other guy who's in the band called Steve Farmery without us knowing had gone to the fall saying we can make our fanzine into the fall fanzine and we go what, what are you doing that's not your fanzine so <laughs> but from that we got the fall's address and we started we wrote a letter to them because we scared such everybody because he's a bit like help you know when you, yeah. what, we're gonna, how are we going to get out of Blackpool we didn't how do you do it it's impossible and the, and the fall wrote back a really long letter then we went over to Manchester and we went to um, the salutation in June to meet uh, Kay Carroll who gave us this like, one-hour lecture on how to be in a bunch. Like, pretty, uh-huh. pretty mad lecture. Uh-huh. I won't repeat the whole conversation. But and then, they gave, <laughs> then they gave us some gigs and that's yeah. how we got some early gigs with the fall. Yeah. So <laughs> some of it was and some of it's un- unrepeatable. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Sounds all right. <laughs> I'm a bit more subtle than your old singer, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the, the main advice we there would have been have a cake, Carol, and then you can pretend to be a nice bloke and she can be the uh, Rottweiler mm-hmm. behind you. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was quite nice, actually, even though she was, there was a Rottweiler yeah. vibe to her. But some of the stuff she was saying wasn't what you would say strictly PC even then, let alone now. <laughs> we'll, draw, we'll draw a veil on that. I've got to hear that you saw the fall over a hundred times. Is that right, do you think? Is it head what? Have you seen the Are fall a hundred times? I think I have, actually, yeah. Because obviously we played the fall a lot. And also the fall would play a lot. So you you would end up yeah. seeing them in so many mm. places. And I've seen the fall play... Uh, Stoke Polly, I saw that there. I seen all over Manchester. We did a, a tour of Scotland with the Fall in '84. We played Liverpool Warehouse with the Fall in '88 or '81 or whatever it was. Um, the old Polly place in Manchester, the, the right on building, whatever it's called, we played the Fall yeah, there. Yeah. Um, Sorry about that. What a great venue yeah. that was. Oh, it's a was. really good venue. And I go past it every day going into town and it reminds me of all those gigs. It's a really good space, wasn't it? So go on then. What your your experiences of supporting were they, were they good? 
so yeah, there's one here I've got here the 4th of November 1981 at the Gaiety Park in Blackpool with you and the mem- you and the Nightingales do you remember that? yeah I remember it really well it's, um, it's a really odd venue because it was, it, was, it was like a what we would call grockles holiday makers <laughs> it's like a disco but it's about the only place you can put bands on so it didn't really suit having bands on but I remember the gig and it was, it was, it was and actually we were pretty good by then we'd actually got our thing pretty together Nightingales were really good in the fall they're like the mm. super group God. without it wasn't really a scene, was it? But it just kind of bands that didn't fit in anywhere. And, and the four yeah. was like the super group of it. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, it, and they sounded really good. And they're a bit more professional. They had a sound guy, uh, somebody like a roadie. It's like, wow, this is like a proper band. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't sound much, did it? It was only Led Zeppelin with their own private plane, was it? driving the van and uh, a 15 year old getting some guitar strings out. I know, but that's what it's like, wasn't it? You know, when you, yeah. I always remember that. Mm. I never forget that. You know, when, when I meet young bands and that, and they're from small towns, I know how outsider you are. You know, you. People always say, why don't you put your own record out? It's really easy. And I say, well, it's not actually. No, it's all right if you live in Manchester or London. You kind of know people. But if you're in Grimsby, you're on hiding to nothing. Mm-hmm. It's really difficult, even with the internet there. It's it's really tough to get to get your stuff out there or to even know what you're doing and how to do it. You know, it's so I've, I've always been very aware of that. So to us, it would seem amazing that somebody a gear that worked or a roadie or, <laughs> or, or a drive. <laughs> Is that interesting now? Because I would have thought these days it didn't really matter where you came from. Is that not, you don't think no. that's true? It's probably easier now than it used to be because you can yeah. look stuff up or you can get connected online and that. But you still don't have that random thing. You know, if you go to gigs around Manchester for about a year, you get to meet people you didn't even know existed who can help you along in the bands. And that's fine. I don't I have no problem with it. That's how it should be for everybody. It's just, I know if you're yeah. in Grimsby, it ain't going to be that easy. You can go to about one gig every three months because hardly anybody ever plays up there, you know, and it's, you do get isolated. Yeah. One advantage of being isolated is that you just get on with your own thing and you have, you, there's no one to copy. And there's, there's not actually any, you don't try and do it to get anywhere because there's no point. You're not going to get anywhere. So you just, you just play music for the sheer joy of it. And it ends up yeah. completely mm-hmm. warped, which is basically what we did. You know, we were trying to make music that was normal, but we had no idea how to do it. So we just ended up making music that sounded exactly like us. Yeah. <laughs> which, the same, which is pure, but it's completely useless, yeah. isn't it? Because 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 there's only a few people ever going to be interested in listening to it. <laughs> well, I mean, we couldn't have, it was the best rule in the world. I don't think we could have sounded like anybody else because they didn't have the skills. In a way, that's no, we didn't have the skills to copy anybody. No, I think that's one of the things that's interesting about the fall, and it? it was it was almost like a small town band in a big city, wasn't it? It was, it was yeah. It was, it, it, that's why we felt a similarity with it. We felt these these aren't that far away from us, but but there was there was like a few more musical skills because you can hear on the bass. You know, there are proper bass drums on that. When I learned about them, I thought, oh, is that how we did that bit? So like Tony Wired has has that really cool like running it, do 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 do, which is well, we wouldn't know how to do that. We didn't know you could do we didn't know you could do things like that. Pete Hogg knows how to do it. He does it on transmission. Yeah, you see, like yeah, they're, they're... it's the same notes. It's the same notes. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying anybody ripped anybody else off because they're all both about the same time. But transmission, no, sure, yeah. Yeah. Transmission and totally wired. The bass are exactly the same notes. But that's yeah. see, see that always sort of shows that music isn't just the notes; it's about the atmosphere it creates. That's right. Yeah, because they're, mm-hmm. they're completely different songs, aren't they? I mean, yeah. you can have all the. Yeah. It's like you know when Led Zeppelin sued, um, um, what they called um, that band, that band on the West Coast. I know that band on the West Coast sued Led Zeppelin for Stairway to Heaven, but what they hadn't realised is uh, Stairway to Heaven has sold thirty million copies because it isn't just yeah. riff. You know, that's right. Yeah, of course. Yeah, a bit, more, a bit more they brought into it as well, and it might just be Jimmy Page's hair that sold thirty million records. But that is part of pop culture, isn't it? You know, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it's the old, it's the old blockbuster. Uh, uh, Gene Genie Blues record but they're, they're completely different records aren't they but it's the, it's the same riff the same one well, they both nicked it off the same place but what's going to be funny nicked it off somebody else yeah apparently yeah both nicked it on, on the same day I can't remember it's, I can't remember now, someone told, told me what it was called it's a blue it's not a 60s blues kind of oh yeah yeah it's, it's, a, it's a really famous yeah. riff but it's gone off the top of my head I've got, I've got the original somewhere but it's just, 
I, I like them both. I don't see when I was growing up with glam rock, I had no idea that David Bowie was really cool and the suite weren't meant to be cool. I just thought they're both completely cool and amazing. You know, the idea that the suite looked like brickies in drag is, is bizarre yeah. to me because Brian Connolly looked amazing. He looked like he, he looked like Brian yeah. Jones from the seventies. He looked like the coolest rock star. And he actually, to us, when we were super young, he looked cooler than David Bowie. I had no idea which one was cool, which one wasn't, because I was so young. And I had no yeah. to check mm-hmm. notes with. So now when I interview people, they go, Starman was the moment, mm-hmm. you know, and it's got all this culture. You think you just read that in a book. When you were 12, <laughs> yeah. you thought, oh, Starman, <laughs> oh, that's great glam rock song. Mod, oh, look, Tiger Feet's great. You didn't. Yeah, yeah. And it, we were so, I mean, there was nothing, you couldn't read this stuff up, up anywhere and, and crib all these, this information. What was, like Roxy Music, I really like Roxy Music, but I didn't know they were the cool bands. As a child, I mean, no. this is, I had an older brother, so I was quite, you know, kind of lucky in that respect because they kind of point you as to what's cool and what's not. I mean, you, you can make your own mind up eventually, but at least you've got a bit of a point about it. But the thing about that was, and it goes against this whole theory that in 1976, Everyone was going, I'm so sick of shit music. Top of the Pops is now on the score. No, that, that is and it's such bollocks. It? It's such bollocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny. I mean, Punk in a sense, it wasn't, it wasn't really a reaction. It was just more good stuff, wasn't it? There had been a lull. Yeah. I remember I was, I was mad on glam rock, and then there was only a couple of things, 75, 76, like Sparks were still good, and a couple of bits of bobs. And the things, everything seemed to sort of, from, from when you're a teenager, eight months is forever. And it seemed like forever, so it wasn't really records you liked. And then the first time I heard Punk was at Ice Skating Rink in Blackpool when they played the Pistols. Ramones and the Damned and there was a massive fight <laughs> wow there was a lot of fights at gig in them days <laughs> so this is where you would hang out when you were 15 at an ice yeah of course that's so Blackpool isn't it it wasn't like you know well I was down the rock scene no I wasn't I was skating in a badly like all the other kids used to do because that's all there was to do <laughs> never got the anger roller skate and I must admit I was like a giraffe on roller skates mate what, what's the, 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 there's always skating here it's ice skating. Oh, ice skating, all oh, right, okay. No, ultra, no, 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 ice skating because ultra no. had an ice hockey team that used to play Blackpool. Yes. That's how I knew that. So they both had this game. Still going, still going. Well, the Blackpool yeah. one's gone now, but it's rough. It wasn't, it. It, wasn't, it wasn't like John Curry. It was like really rough down there. People, there'd be loads of fighting and blood on the ice. And, you know, like t- teenagers yeah. in the 70s, it was, that was what people did, just fight each other and everyone else would hide in the corner thinking, oh, God. I mean, that is a cliche as well, but that one is true. It was a rough place. Going out in 1978, 79, you, t- you weren't quite taking your life in your hands, but it wasn't far off. It was, especially if you dress punk. I mean, going out... I think I think in the north I don't think anybody was wearing Vivian Westwood I don't think no. so anyway I remember a kid turned up no. in the Vivian Westwood top and he looked really out of place I mean I think her stuff's amazing and, and they're more like works of art than clothes but, and I think yeah and they do look incredible mm. but it didn't work in the north it just it looked it looked too it almost looked tacky but in London it would make complete sense in the north it was all Oxfam and it's like Getting trousers and taking them in, I had to learn to stitch, take the trousers in to make them into drain parts. Used to wear pinstripes at the time. Yeah. Because uh, it's all demob de- suits and bank manager suits and chucked into what yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, so I didn't like jeans. I didn't want to wear blue jeans. So that was that. So if you didn't want to wear blue jeans, there wasn't anything. <laughs> you had to go to no. <laughs> you can always get a decent. You can always get a decent jacket from Oxfam or whatever. But the kecks were always. They're always a funny cut. I seem to remember. There was like a massive zips and a. <laughs> yeah, ma- yeah. We had to take them in with a needle and thread, and, yeah. and they would never get the right shape. But they, they didn't. Really, as long as they weren't flared, it didn't matter what the rest of the shape was. Yeah, yeah. So it's two, two years early, my man was putting little triangle wedges in his Steve's jeans to make them wider, and then it was can you take the kecks? I wish you make it bleeding mind up. Oh, no, I remember that. I remember. I remember the kid at school turned up in the term 76 term whatever it was he had the biggest knotted tie ever massive collars on his shirt flares that like went way past his feet long since part of there and he thought he was yes. the king and then Punk turned up about four weeks later only for about three people because that's the other thing it was very few people into it now when you see documentaries they talk about this massive thing that swept the nation and everyone got into it but it was just like a few also a few very timid kids got into it who really yeah. sh- shouldn't have been getting into something that was that dangerous 
it was kind of sort of without being without reminding it was kind of the weirdos who got into punk I think wasn't it I think yeah it's, yeah. A, it's a, such a weird mixture when it's like the kids who are too right. smart to be at school really weirdos leftovers it was, it was people who were obsessed with pop culture as well which is quite yes. weird as well at the time because I guess it's like now isn't it? I mean there'll be a few people who's music going over else into cars or whatever you know what normal heads are into and stuff and Music was everything for us. It was obsessive. I mean, it wasn't matter. You know, if you're looking about the copies of the enemy that sold and the Melody Maker and Sounds, three weekly full size newspapers. They were selling like what? How many? Half a million copies each or something? Yeah, they're they're all, were obsessed with music. It was. I think they're more closer to about 100, 120,000 each, but still a lot. Uh, and yeah. you've forgotten record mirror and disc as well. Yeah. So there's five. I used yeah. five. Um, in just before punk and things, Record Mirror was really good. Actually, I met someone from Record Mirror the other day, and it was, you know, I was remembering how good they were at covering punk. It was like the pop paper with disco, but they had, they had really good uh, mm. writers, and they used to get really good stuff in there. Yeah, so yeah, so the Melody Maker never really covered punk, did it? It's always a bit of an awkward relationship with Melody Maker. It got a bit, a bit later on, it did. It did later on, but it was too late. And yeah. uh, I thought the sounds were really good. Sounds had like John Savage and people like that, and. It, and for that period before it, it sort of went more of the oi thing, it was it was really good on punk and post punk. David Pollock, yeah. I mean, he was a really good writer. Um, I mean, even Gary Bushell before he went nuts and started covering oi, like you say, even his stuff was all right early on. I think. Yeah, he's okay. I mean, he's actually. I mean, I know Bush. I know Bushell. He's actually an all right guy. You know, I mean, I mean, I don't go into all the other stuff or whatever people want to say. But if you, if you meet him as a as you meet him as a geezer in a place talk, if you talk about music it's great he's just a massive fan yeah. he still loves music and he talks about it in a really passionate way so yeah, that's all I'm interested hated in the fall. Like that. hated the fall yeah he wouldn't really, he totally wouldn't get it would he but, but there was also the politics of the paper because they, him and David Culloch were the two young hot writers who were in competition with each other weren't they so at one yeah. point they both remember they both covered the clash together they did one review where they both wrote the review Together, they were like they used to go out. They used to be mates together, but it was interesting way where punk splintered and they kind of went down different paths. But they start yeah. in the same place, don't they? So it was all the clash, yes. and then within a mm. year, it's the fall versus the Connery rejects or whatever, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But the Connery rejects was probably too far the other way then, because he was obsessed with the fall. Yeah, he was one of yeah. You know, you know, yeah. he's, you know, he's dead now, which is like nobody. Yeah, really knows. I, did, I just I didn't know that. Yeah, it's really sad. Yeah, I, mean, I just found it on the internet. Yeah. I was just reading that this morning. Yeah. I mean, I, I knew already, but yeah, he's 55 when he died. Yeah, it's oh, quite no. a long time ago, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, he's quite instrumental in documenting that post-punk stuff. When he interviewed us, yeah. Actually, yeah. he came up to Blackpool to interview us in about 1980. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Um. And but I mean everybody came to Blackpool to interviews. We did a few pieces. It was always couched in Blackpool. So it was all about the lights, the tower, you know, uh, just, and it's yeah. and Candy Floss mm. is always mentioned. And it's like, well, we're not able to do that. We don't we don't even live in that part of the town. And it's just kind of odd. I mean, it, that, that was part of it wasn't part of our culture. Section twenty five had the same thing. You, you end up being Candy floss post punk, you know, but a bit like like mm. look, Manchester's got the serious stuff and Blackpool's got these kind of silly bands. <laughs> right. I thought, so, I thought so it was Section Twenty Five being particularly hilarious. Whenever I heard it, no, no, but but well, he did have a very sly sense of humour, Larry. I mean, he, he was yeah. funny, but but visionary. I, I just think that that first album is still mind blown to this day. Martin Hat, possibly Martin Hannett's best production, the sound of it. Did you know Kanye West sampled one of the tracks about three years ago? Oh, no. That, no. Such a 25, they sent me an email saying, Kanye West has just said, can he sample one of our tracks? What should we do? And I was going, what, what would you mean, what should you do? The answer is just yes. Take his fucking uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 It was a whole track. He, he didn't just sample a bit. Mm. It's, it's a whole song. He duets with Larry. 
in the track and Larry. Larry's been dead wow. ten years. It's very spooky track, but it's it's great. But it's also how the drummer had makes, to, you, yeah. makes you think. How did Kanye West hear a Section Twenty Five song? Well, well, listen to. I know he's a lunatic, but, yeah, sure. but apparently yeah. he sits there and he listens to everything. He doesn't have a team of people looking for stuff. He so his thinking would have been Joy, hey, Joy Division, coolest band, very cool British band, but. Who are the other bands on that label? Joy Division is too obvious. So that's how I originally right. found Section 25. Yeah. But also, the drummer, Vinny, in Section 25, he has this kind of loping death disco beat, which suits hip-hop. So the beat's like... Dum, ba-dum, ba-dum. And it's a perfect oh, okay. kind of slow hip-hop yeah. beat. So in the track, it totally suits Kanye. It's amazing. Fantastic. And they got, the, pay- they got the payday. So that, that was really good. I mean, they must have got... Four, it's a number one album in America, so they must have got... Oh, I hope they got a lot of money. I'm sure they did. I yeah, he, I hope yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. So it could happen to you one day, yeah. couldn't it? The full green. Yeah, yeah. I'm up in Jay-Z. I was a sample toilet in one of these days. No, Why can't be that one, Paul. There's so many... Uh, oh, I've got a carry on toilet, man. Yeah, I've never mentioned that. <laughs> no. But the other tracks, and I always go on about the full groove, but that perfect swing that... That you have on your bass, Steve. That, that thing we just play one riff forever and ever, and it just really swings and a really kind of weird yeah. way. I mean, I could totally Lens see that. Loads, to of, loads of hip hop tracks could use something like that because it does have a groove. Mm. The four, the four yeah. groovy bands. Oh, be my guest. <laughs> no, you know what means to it. You'll probably lose money on that. Next time, next time you're speaking to Beyonce, see if she'll come to something. Yeah, it's it's hot put, after shave, Bob. <laughs> in front of these people. I think may, maybe not enough people concentrate on the music of the four. I mean, obviously, Mark's persona was like mm. so powerful, you know, and so captivating. Mm. And, and, but people sort of tend to overlook the music. Not everybody, but... You know, so they only go to him, but there's mm. actually a whole thing going on there, which I hope the new bands kind of reminds yeah. people of. No, I, I often did think that, but but if you, if you go on YouTube and you if you're sad enough, <laughs> if you go on YouTube and you look at the comments underneath, there's always a lot of like good stuff about the music. Oh yeah, I think the fans get it. Yeah. I mean, beyond yeah. you know, beyond the fans mm. of the band, you know, the general idea of what the band is to people who don't really get the records but you know that it's yeah. more about the persona of the singer more than the band in that kind yeah. of world and it's so yeah. yeah we all get it and stuff and, and i'm not in the yeah. band so it's i can perfectly say that i think the four groove is fantastic and i can big it all up because it has no advantage to me at all does it i was just gonna say what when did you actually move to manchester um 83 yeah, because we're trying to get it going in Blackpool. We're trying to make a scene there. But it's every summer when it, when the Grockles came back, you got kicked out of all the clubs and the pubs, so we couldn't put gigs on in the summer because they didn't, they didn't want to put the 100 acres off. They didn't want all the weirdos yeah. in there. When I say all, about 100 of us. And then um, <laughs> I did go to Polytechnic. I went to North Stas Polys. I was at Stafford for about a year, though, and I never actually went to anything. So I was, I was down there for a bit, and then I went back for about eight months and then I, then I just came over to Manchester because it's just getting impossible to do stuff in Blackpool you know I mean I still go back now though I'm still really fond of the place but you're not going to get a musical thing going in them days from there mm. and we used to go to Manchester for gigs we just want to go see bands play we couldn't it was it was a major expedition to go and see a band then whereas mm-hmm. Manchester when I got here of course I mean it wasn't like I'd get bands every night it was about one a week but at least you could get to that gig <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, well, the Hacienda was open every night then, wasn't it? I mean, we didn't have bands on that often. But uh, so, so you actually moved to, as a sort of no, well, career is probably the wrong word, but so to be in a band in Manchester, that was the that was the motivation for moving, was it? No, I was already in the band. We just moved half the band over here. So, right, yeah. Right. yeah that's what I mean. But I mean, to further your career as a musician, if you no, like, no, no, just was, just a bit, just to be able to go out. <laughs> 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 it, was, it wasn't really that cynical thinking. No, we could go over there and we'd have a career. Cause we, 
because you don't think about music as a career, do you? Because you can't, can you? Especially when mm-hmm. you make your music, it's fairly obtuse. You just make the stuff. And, and I mean, it's not like you put it out and hope, no, you, you hope everyone will be into it and you do everything you can mm-hmm. to make people listen to it. But it's not like thinking, you know what, if I make a record that's a bit like that, so it's going to be great, my sales projections. I mean, yeah. maybe, maybe, maybe that's when no. you should have thought about it, you know. I mean, you should have thought about that, yeah, no. But you don't, though, do you? No, you really don't. No. <laughs> so, so when did you sign to Intake then, John? Uh, that would be like oh, yeah. we were on we're on a label called Criminal Damage, which was like a little sort of gothy type label from Reading, and then uh, we were going to be the first release on Creation. Um, and McGee came up to the studio to hear us record Spike McGlynn's tape recorder, and he, I mean, he was going to sign us before that. Um, I was I was friends of <laughs> put him off. Yeah, but I was he was, I was friends Alan McGee before he had Creation records so we're, we're really good friends and then um, and then we were on creation then we had a big fallout and then we went to intake and i think that was about 86 oh yeah classic timing <laughs> yeah well, it, well I mean, that was a, it's, a, it's amazing how you know influential like i could yeah obviously it's your mate's label i never thought mm. you know never really figured on my i mean we were the first we were the first thing on intake weren't we Steve? we were yeah but um it didn't, it didn't, really didn't go down too well, but... No, I got told off for that. The time we joined, it was a really good mm-hmm. roster. I mean, it was like... Yeah. It was kind of collecting up all those bands. Wasn't it? If the three Johns yeah. and the Nightingales had been on there as well, it would have been... Yeah. It would have been the Empire. It would have had the whole... The whole crew, or the whole gang, wouldn't it? The, this, basically, yeah. all the C eighty six bands who didn't get on C eighty six. Yeah, I mean, who well, actually pioneered it for about four years? Yeah, yeah. So yes, and it was good that it was up here as well. That that was handy. Yeah, so you, you could actually go around to the house, you know, because it wasn't like yeah. when you're on other like labels before. They're in London. It was, it was it was a bit of a you could never meet the label. You just you're like an outlier. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, yeah, so well, I, I didn't realize that. John, I was, we were talking to James Brown, and he was, you know, he knew all the intake people because he used to play football with Mark. Well, um, I introduced him because I knew James first. So he's, yes. uh-huh. he, he turned up at our gigs in Leeds first time I met him. He's about 16 uh, with his little bag of fanzines. He just started it then. And then he'd come over to Manchester and stay at our house. And I introduced him to the people that I knew. So that's how he got to know. He knew John Langford as well already, but then I got. I hooked him up with Mark and all those people. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, that's what James has always done in a good way, you know, just just become mates and mates. I've seen him the other week. He came up to Loud the Words. I hadn't seen him for such a long time. Yeah, I saw it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was, we, it was, yeah, and we had really good fun as well, just like it was back, back when we. Well, well, when when he was a kid, I wasn't really a kid then, but like <laughs> back, back in, the, in the old days, fanzine days, when we were all going to change the world. Yeah, you did. Well, he did. Yeah, he did. It's loaded changed the world. I'm not so sure it was for the better, but uh, that was. A, I mean, that, I mean, that, you know, that, if you get into that whole thing of that lad culture that started then, and, you know, I'm, it's I'm kind not of, sure he wouldn't. It was interesting, wasn't it? Because that was sort of half of it yeah. when he was doing Loaded, but the other half of Loaded was still Attack on Bazag. It still had really good articles in it. It was still quite, yes. it was still really funny. And those bits I was more interested in, you know, that was the bit that was, um, well, just because I'm more interested in that stuff. And it really, yes. would have really weird curveball things that you wouldn't expect in there as well. So it wasn't like nuts. It, it was. It had no, a bit no, more. Not at all. No. It a, a bit more to it, really, didn't it? Yeah, it did. It, I'm not. I'm not for a minute saying that that was, you know, down the whim or it was anything that he encouraged, even particularly. But that it just that the time of the time when you when you had loaded and then you had Britpop and and then suddenly everyone who would, would never talk about football was suddenly talking about football. It was a really strange time. It was kind of transitional time. That wasn't it? I suppose it was Labour as well. Yeah, it was, and it's, I know it's fashionable to look to poo-poo it now, look down on it because there's always that thing that if stuff's popular, it obviously can't be as good. But you know, yes. I mean, it was good to see Pulp after all those years of slogging around and beating. They supported us a few times. I remember they would play a gig and think, "Oh God, not Pulp! They don't pull anybody." You know when you're, yeah, you know you're a circuit band. You need the support band to bring fifty in to help get the gig up to hundred and fifty. Yeah. Yeah. You can't be not yeah. any friends. <laughs> <laughs> And then about a month later, yeah. they're the biggest band in the country. And I thought that was such yeah. a heartwarming story. 
and he didn't really, he didn't really change what we did that much, you know. And it's, uh, but I knew all the bands in that Britpop thing that got big, and, and you know, the music was actually more. Like nowadays, people go, oh, it's so simplistic. But when you think about it, Blur, there's, oh, quite, there's quite a big no, dose of the fall in Blur, isn't there? You know, it's. Uh, oh, there is yeah, definitely, yeah. Is another, I mean, I'm here's another, well. I mean, I think there's another thing you, the, the Hanley Brothers, should do is get yourself on a Gorillas track. Why don't you just approach it? Because there's where the fall green should go. Oh. Now I've got it. I've worked out your your career now. Is oh, the next Gorillas well, album? We've been oh. crying out for a manager, John. This is this is a manager made. We'll, we'll leave it with you, yeah. Well, I'm actually thinking. I'm, I'm actually thinking uh, of a favour for, for Damon Albarn because he's a Fall fan. And what could be better than having the classic rhythm section playing on a track, doing the Fall groove? You know, it, it'd just be so perfect. It's so perfect. I can't see how that wouldn't work. Well, it's, it's a question we've often asked ourselves, isn't it, Paul? <laughs> well, well, I'm giving you the answer. I've got a good quote from you about the fall groove. One of the greatest sounds known to the human race is the fall groove. Heavy-duty, bass-driven, willful, mm. grinding repetition that the band would lock into at their highest peak. And then, of course, Mark Riley moved over on the guitar, didn't he? <laughs> 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 Mark, Mark, was, Mark was good on bass, but his guitar was better. There's spinning it all yeah, glide, it, it, really catchy. Got a good yeah. songwriter as well. But the classic, yeah. Yeah. classic four yeah. groove is right. is on the other end of this call. You know, that's I think where where Steve would just lock it in on the bass and and look completely intense is the core of, of the trunk actually of the band for years, wasn't it? And um, it was almost like Mark would be playing off that in a way, wouldn't he? And I always like that thing you always told me, Steve, about standing sideways on the stage so he couldn't get anywhere near your ramp. But now every time I look at a picture of the fall, that period thing, standing sideways. It's like he's wearing it, we're wearing the cap on his back, isn't he? He's that close to it. Uh, if it, in, in looking back, it's done me quite well because I've only got one bad ear. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> you stuck right on the yeah. yeah, yeah. The bass is worse for ears and guitars, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I've got one deaf ear because Steve was to my left. <laughs> and I, I, I'm counting a bloody thing in my left ear now. God, I've been really lucky. Mine are all right. I, I can't understand why. Because right. we were loud, you know. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, yeah, one, yeah. one of my guitar players had to retire because of tinnitus and then... It's not, never yeah. affected me. I've never really been that careful with them either. So it's just, it's just luck, isn't it? Well, I've, I've started wearing earplugs now, which which I find um, is a bit ridiculous because you turn up. But you turn, everybody turns up, yeah. But um, <laughs> if everybody just played a bit quieter, then we'd be away. But no, but I, I mean, you know, I got I got away with it for a long time because I've touch wood, I've never had tinnitus, and it's it's an awful affliction, isn't it? Tinnitus, if you get it bad. I think everybody's yeah. got it, but it's just a very. I've got it. Yeah, it's low it's level. It's not but, too bad, but, yeah, but people, people get it to that level where they can't sleep, like my guitar player. Yeah. yeah. Chris Elm, out of the he had it. Really, I remember talking to him, and he, he used to have to detune the TV and listen to put white noise on to get to sleep because it yeah, was the tinnitus it, was that bad. Because you, your, your yeah. mind gets detra- distracted from the tinnitus, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my missus has got it a little bit. She has white noise on her phone, but she, she never fails to remind me that it, of the unfairness of life that she's got tinnitus and I. <laughs> unfairness of life. I know it's funny. I'm, right, so I'm, let it, I, we need to do the favour of talking about your new book, your new goth book. Oh, oh. We, well, don't we only go around plugging stuff? Is but, but we can't. No, 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 no. <laughs> just, I just, I, want, I just wanted to see to get your opinion on the contrast between the, those two scenes that kind of, that kind of grew up at the same time. So you had like yeah. Joy Division well, and well, the Fall, and then the Goth sing style, which on paper would be polar opposites, but they kind of rubbed along quite nicely together in a lot of way. Well, in the book, I mean, the basic premise of the book is called The Art of Darkness, which is about. It's kind of like every generation's reaction to melancholic vibe of Europe, you know, the damp grey sky. So whether yes. it's building a Gothic cathedral or romantic poets or, or you know, uh, paintings, so that's all in there as well. But the music bit is the main chunk of the book, of course, but it isn't just the classic goth bands. I stretch it out much wider because the other premise of the book was it's about what is going to a goth club 
in 79, 80, when it wasn't even called golf, it was just alternative clubs, really. And it's a music mm-hmm. they played in there. So, so like, you know, as time went on, you know, they were playing Sister Mercy, I love Sister Mercy. I mean, you speak to Andrew Eldridge, and he actually calls it, he, he said he always called it the M62 sound. So he felt a, 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 a kinship with the fall and Joy Division and the Bunnymen and the Teardrop Explodes. He felt that was the scene, yeah. which it kind of was. not a million sense. miles apart. But you go in those clubs and they would play the fall. Hit the North was always yeah. in those clubs. And and it didn't seem out of place. Birthday party. I mean, I know everybody hates the term and Nick Cave will, will run a mile from the court of golf, but his audience was a golf audience. Um, yeah, but, 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 but he's also, he crossed over into the fall. There was, there's always, and he's the same people. I mean, you know, people weren't. People always say it's very tribal. Then, in a sense, it was. But, but it, in a sense, it wasn't. You know, you could like all these different things at the same time. John Peel played the ball. It wasn't like he wasn't allowed to play yeah. just because they were called golf or something. I mean, Southern Death Club yeah. massively influenced mm-hmm. by Joy Division. The full crop up in the book a few times. You know, I didn't know. Well, that long, that long back brigade was kind of the uh, the bit in the middle between the fall yeah. and Joy Division, and uh, well, I think the real elements of golf in Joy Division. Yeah, well, they yeah. won the first band to be called Goff or Gothic. I mean, the first band to be called yeah. Goff was uh, The Doors got reviewed in 1967 in mm. their first New York gig, and they were called a Gothic band. And then there's a, there's a bit of a gap until it crops up again, and the word gets used for uh, Joy Division um, by, by Martin Hannett in about really early okay. on, 78, 79. So, yeah. so what it becomes, it's like punk, isn't it? I mean, people's idea of what punk is now isn't what it was at the time. But the weird thing yeah. about golf was it's a retrospective term for a scene that was already there because it, it they were just called alternative clubs. This is it's the alternative yes. scene. Mm. And golf was a piss take term stuck on afterwards by yes. by the music press. But it's actually quite an interesting term because it does tie all in with with Lord Byron, with, with uh, gothic architecture. With the, And the book starts with the fall of Rome getting sacked by the Visigoths, which is where a music <laughs> book should always start, shouldn't it? Of course, yes, indeed, yeah. <laughs> and then, if, you ask, if, if you ask now, there was fucking thousands at that fall of Rome. They, were, they weren't actually there, were they? They were no. pretending. The clubs are just full of yeah. Visigoths. actors <laughs> 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 around with horned helmets. And then the fall had yeah. that phase where they actually looked a bit like a goth band with Mark used yeah. to do that big triumph belt and have the eyeliner on and stuff like that, you know, when um, Bricks was sort of dressing them up a bit. So he could, could have almost passed for being a goth band, which is which yeah. is kind of interesting. Well, it's still slagging off Julian Cope, though, wasn't he, for having a flying jacket? Oh, always, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that, that, that's the thing. Do, do, you, do you manage to define what goth bands sound like? Because it's quite, it's quite a broad church, yeah. isn't it, I think? I guess if you, you define this, this there is a, a lurking darkness, and it, it's but it, it's not it's always not, not always a moping darkness. It could actually be quite tongue in cheek. There's a melancholia yeah. to it to, to musical style, but also very much like post punk, every instrument plays lead, which is a generalisation. But you know the way that like like in the fall, the bass is a lead instrument, and the guitar is, and the drums. You can sing. A lot of the fall songs, I'm not saying the fall classic golf band because they're not, but you can sing the drum lines in your head. Yeah. And that's what I liked yeah. in that period because yeah. everybody played lead all at once. Everybody played something completely different at the same time and it worked. And that's kind yeah. of a loose thing you can apply to most of the bands across the scene. So they always had bass players who, who played like lead bass, didn't they? That's quite important. Yeah. And singers who couldn't technically really sing but somehow made it work, you know, which is very yeah. punk as well, isn't it? Yeah. I'll put more of a deeper voice version of it, more of a attempt at the baritone version of it. Yeah, but, the... the, the- the ultimate golf record for me, and I think it's got a humour in it that a lot of people don't pick up on. I was talking to somebody, we were talking about rafters, and uh, Bill Lou Goes He's Dead, I think, is what is just the best record. And there's a film of him doing it on Riverside or something, and it is hilarious the way he does. He plays up this sort of vampire thing. I think that that's not, not, nobody's playing rhythm there. I think that's like four lead instruments, and then him giving it about the count. I love that it's, record. That's it's an amazing record. I mean, Bauhaus, I mean, I- are to me an incredible band. Mm. Like they're one of the greatest art rock bands that's ever produced. But the music press detests them, so they get written yeah. out the narratives. So when yeah. they talk about music from uh, like the early eighties, they're never included, even though they're really influential, but also really imaginative. Every single song was completely different. But yeah. the, the story behind, well, I was just doing the Bauhaus chapter yesterday, just editing mm. it, and it reminded me of the story of it. And they formed so. Uh, Daniel Asher, Pete Murphy had one rehearsal. Then they get the other two guys in the week after. They wrote Bella Lugosi in the second rehearsal because, um, you know, they, was, they had a bit of a bass line. He did some dub things on his guitar. 
the bass player, David J, gave Peter Murphy the lyrics. He sort of crooned over the top. And they said, that sounds good. Let's go and do a demo. So the week after that, they did the demo of it, and that's the single. So they're only going wow. for wow. And they'd be going Blimey. four weeks when they record the Bella Lugosi. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. 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 And it's like become like a timeless classic. And it's an incredible piece of music. You first, the first thing we put out is eight minutes long, dark dub with songs about an old actor. Is it, you think, why well, ain't going to work? Is it, can you imagine trying to do that with a record, a proper record label? <laughs> <laughs> well, when we first got a video recorder, we used to tape any bit of music with on the TV. And that was yeah. one of the first things we had was Bella Lugosi Dead on Riverside. And I must have watched it a million times. It's on YouTube now, obviously, but it's fantastic. Oh, Riverside. It's so ridiculous and so over the top and, and pulling on faces. And it's fantastic. And what, what a brilliant record. It's very theatrical, but it's also very, and it's funny as well. It's got a dark yeah. humor, but it's also genuinely quite dark quite scary yeah. so he works on every level I think Daniel Ash is one of the greatest guitar players this country's ever produced he never plays mm. anything that complex he doesn't do solos or riffs he just makes these really cool noises with the guitar he uses yeah. an Evo uh, and uh, like a little reverb unit and everything he does yeah. is really imaginative he just I know this sounds a bit poncy but he, he, he does guitar stuff that he's like painting like dobs of paint yeah, yeah, no, no. they're like Keith Levine God rest his soul oh Keith was an amazing guitar player as well I mean that, that was, yeah. there's a whole yeah. raft of great guitar players I mean John McKay at the Banshees there, there's an internet yeah, record yeah. he was that's, great yeah. that Zorga yeah. Moore record of course yeah I read that the other day they were on internet it's band I can't remember what they were called now Zorga Moore <laughs> That's the ones, yeah. yeah. I it's, didn't realise that was John McGott. It's one of the great lost classics. If, if this book does anything, it will get people to go and listen to that track. So I went down such a rabbit hole on that song because I remember when it came out and on the intake and they just couldn't get couldn't get it played, couldn't get anything with it, could they? But it's just like because. Because uh, the guy who drummed for Zorgabor actually got in touch when I put it on Facebook. So I drummed on that, and he said there was a feeling in the music business that they were still blaming John Mackay for breaking up the Banshees. So he had all this negative vibe going on. And he's one of the greatest guitar players came out in a way. That chiming, glassy sound, yeah. he, he had it before Keith mm. Levine. He was... Yeah, yeah. He probably is a source. I'm not doing down Keith, because Keith did amazing stuff. Keith, he used to get up and play the membranes, Keith Levine. He, he, yeah, he played about, yeah. about five gigs and he just get on stage and he, I say, can you just do this song in the oh, middle? No. And he go, okay. And he wouldn't even want to rehearse it. He just get up and just play it and he always got it right. And he's, oh yeah, when you see the videos of it on YouTube, he's just us looking at him going, fuck, how does he do that? <laughs> but I, I get the impression that the first line of Public Image Limited didn't spend a lot of their days rehearsing. I might be wrong. No, no that song obviously came together in five minutes and it's perfect. I mean, I mean, what, it's a, it's, mm. that's the first baseline wobble ever made up, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's I mean, it's, it's like it's like hilariously first baseline-ish, but and absolutely brilliant at the same time, isn't it? Completely perfect. I mean, that's the thing about that point in time. People were doing things four weeks after forming. They weren't, weren't worrying about it for years and then trying to hone it down. They just went in and did it. And sometimes yeah. that didn't work, but when it worked, it's amazing, isn't it? That just, it's so... Yeah. It's about to crash, but it doesn't quite crash. And the energy of that... Mailbox is all like that. Any, any minute now, this is going to fall to pieces. And it doesn't. It's just brilliant. It's amazing. And the first album's amazing. You know, the one yeah. that people don't often... You know, people have looked at. In fact, it's Wobble first, his first album. You know, and it's... Um, you know, when you listen to it, because it's a, it's a bit more wall of sound, but it's still really yes. effective. You know, it's... Uh, yeah, just incredible. Yeah. I mean, what a band. I mean, I even like Flowers of Romance. I thought that was a great record as well. It's... And it bits and bobs afterwards, but it's diminishing returns, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the flowers are romantic. I mean, I think the single's great. I'm not so sure the album holds quite up as much. Oh, well no, as... no, 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 no. Go back, go back, go back, go back. It's, it's amazing. Mm. The drum sounds okay. on that, you know, that first four enclosed walls, that snare, yeah. snare sound on that. Oh, God, it's incredible. Right, okay. It's so great. I like that period. Um, you can't re- I mean, it's a bit of a dodgy word now. Tribal drum sounds is great, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, and that, you know, yeah. with Adamant's two drummers, amazing. Kings of yeah. Frontier, I love that record. That Brundy Beat thing was Ace, Bow Wow, of course. And that Pill album was kind of a version of yes. that, you know, that tribal pounding thing. Yeah. Kind of, that, that was Nick Laney. I, well, I always thought it was Nick Laney, but I found out it was uh, Steve Lillywhite is a person who started that drum sound, and he said he started putting it together on the Banshee's first album. Oh, okay. Are using right. the playback mic and mixing it with the snare coming out of it, putting it back in with the snare and gating it, and and Hugh. Oh, is that how you do it? All oh, right, okay. Well, that's how yeah. you started doing it. But in the yeah. end, they had it down to a science. So, um, 
And yeah. Peter Gable used it, but I tell you, he used it really well. It was XTC on those middle albums? Oh, bloody hell, what's it? Um, Making Pass for Nigel. Nigel, yeah. Yeah, or, or I've after, read, after, I've read or that. I've read that. that drum bit. But after that, when they did their Mumma on those records, you know, when they have those, oh, yeah. those kind of African mm. high life guitars, English folk sort of melodies, but these yeah. massive sort of pounding tribal drums, because Terry Chambers, amazing drummer, you know, powerhouse yeah, drummer. You know, so it's uh, in fact you should you should get him on this podcast. It'd be really good. But it's um, those records are, are amazing. The drum sounds of those are some of the best drum sounds I've ever heard. I know we're getting a bit yeah. getting a bit tech now, but it's music, isn't it? We are talk about music. I'm a bit worried about getting a drummer on. You know, I've, I've been listening to two bass players for an hour. I'm a bit a bit nervous about getting two drummers on. Well, I love drums. It's <laughs> yeah. my, it's my favourite <laughs> instrument. But I've never been able to play. I could play along with people badly. Yeah. Um, but I can't I can't drum like a proper drummer but I always listen to drums I appreciate drums fair enough on that bombshell <laughs> I, think we've, I, think we've reached, I think we've reached that hour John I mean we could talk for hour but um, that's been a real yeah. pleasure to talk to you about that and all the best yeah. wishes you yeah. and I, I, I wasn't bringing it up yeah. for the purposes of making more sales I just really wanted to talk about that that's oh no no, it's, no, it's, no I know yeah yeah no it's cool it's an interesting period but I, I mean that's the other thing you don't I like writing about all that stuff, but I don't want to, I don't want to stay there forever. You know, you want to get, what's happening next? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get to an age of what, what, exactly what are you doing next? Uh, um, well, we're going to do a tour of chameleons that's coming up and um, with somebody oh. coming but there's, yeah, there's, um, there's, uh, there's uh, well, I'm still doing that Green Britain thing where we're, going to, right, we're trying to make all these courses oh, yeah. for people, then the eco courses, teach people how to do eco yes. jobs, but, we're going to make mm-hmm. there's, there's quite a lot of interesting little things going off that little angles and stuff, and then just talk to people about really weird ideas about gaming and stuff like that. Stuff, stuff that's kind of it's pop culture but different. Instead of, I mean, I, yes. I could talk forever about XTC's drum sound. I like doing that. But I like to yeah. be. I like I like conversations about the future as well and stuff and yeah. different things. You know. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. yes. Oh, yes. Well, I must thank you, by the way, on behalf of me and Mike, for for and for the whole of Manchester for the louder than more words weekend was fantastic. You and Jill, you won. Really well. Brilliant. So what a gift to Manchester yeah. that is. Uh, you know, man, it's very yeah, it's, great. Yeah. Yeah, it's always great having you involved every year as well. So we we'll, we'll think of another version. Of, of your things <laughs> <next year. laughs> I want to expand, I want to expand we'll it out to kind of make it bigger because I think it could definitely get bigger uh, so yeah. we're just no, trying to make some plans good. at the moment yeah mm-hmm. well I think the sky's the limit but I think it was fantastic yeah, okay. yeah. Well, well thanks very much for your time as ever brilliant to speak to you yeah thanks. No, don't forget to, don't forget to get, give Damon my phone number for the next Gorillaz album um, just yours I've got, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to plant the idea in people in that little cabin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. What percentage you want then, John? 2%, 3%? <laughs> what I, I just want it to happen. Yeah. When Beyonce gets in touch, we'll keep that for ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> All, right. All right. Good to speak to you, mate. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Old Brother. The next episode will be released in two weeks. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at Old Brother Show, where you can find links to our Spotify playlist. Or why not subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher or RSS, so you'll be all set for the rest of Series 3. You can also give us a rating on iTunes, subscribe on YouTube, or just tell your friends if you fancy it too. For further reading, our books about the fall, The Big Midweek and Have a Bleeding Guest, are available from Root Publishers and all good bookstores, where you can also find John's very fine tomes. If you aren't able to support Louder Than Words, please do, you won't regret it. Hope to speak to you all again soon, and remember, if you're driving, take your car. Ta-ra!